Well, welcome to Table Talk. This is our once a month we try to do this. Uh, this is a chance for you to teach. <laughs> and we're learning to discuss passages, dig out truths out of the passages ourselves, and, and understand them. And so we put you at a table, and there's a leader there to help guide you along and, and to look at God's word together. Our text is Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 16. I'm going to read the text, and then I'm going to turn you loose because uh, I want to give you as much time as possible to think through this. Um, so turn to in your Bibles or your pad or your phone or whatever you've got in front of you, um, Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 16, and follow along as we read. There's one section in here that um, is a, a little more challenging. I'll, I'll explain that as I go to it to help you understand. When you hear the explanation of it, it'll make sense within the context. Um, Therefore, verse 1, chapter 4 of Ephesians, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now here comes a section here that I want you to grasp here. They just talked about the greatness of God in verse 6. He's, he's the one God, the Father of all. Everything comes from him. He's over all. He controls all things, right? Then verse 7, notice it starts with a conjunction. But, now despite God's greatness... And who he is is a capability to do all things. He engages us with him. So understand that as we go into this context. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So, so God includes us in. He uses us to do this. Now verse 8, he goes a little farther with it. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives, uh, captive a host of captives and gave gifts to men. Now, here the Apostle Paul takes a quote out of Psalm 68, which is a great, uh, it was a psalm that David wrote of victory. And so here, uh, Paul is using this, is, this is a great victory the Lord did. Though, though he is, Lord, Lord is the Father of all things, all things are through him, he's over all things, he gives us gifts to participate even though that the Lord Jesus Christ ascended on high and he grabbed us, where are the captives? That's what I love about this passage. You're the captive. He took you from Satan, right? And then he gave, he gave gifts to men. He lets us participate with this great God who rules our world. Verse 9, now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he has descended into the lower parts of the earth? Now, lots of discussion on this, but here's, let me give you a quick take. The Lord Jesus stepped out of, he descended down here to earth, he stepped out, he went to the lower parts of the earth. Um, that could be several things. One, he went into the womb of Mary. He, he also walked upon this fallen world. He went into a grave. 1 Peter 3.19, I think it is somewhere around there, says that he went down and preached in the pit <laughs> in between his death and resurrection. Preached victory. That's why Paul's using this psalm here. And then it says, verse 10, he who descended is himself also he who ascended far above the heavens so that he might fill all things. He's at the right hand of the Father. All things have been completed in Christ. He sits there waiting for his enemies to be made his 
footstool. That's the idea. I know that's a little, that's a tougher section in there, um, so I wanted to give you a little bit of explanation there. But now let's read on. Verse 11. And, here comes another conjunction, with all of that, he gave, look at this, gifts, some as apostles and some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature, which belongs to the fullness of Christ." As a result, we, that's us, believers, are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, but speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now, massive passage, great stuff. We're going to let you just start digging through this and start answering some of these questions. We'll go down the questions real quick. According to Ephesians 4.15, we are to grow up in all aspects into him, that's Christ. So, in the context of the passage, what are areas we are to be growing together in Christ? Look in that passage and pull things out, write things down that we're to be growing up in Christ. And what does it mean to be held together by Christ? As you read that, you get the idea of tendons holding together the body, right? If you lose your tendons, if you didn't have a muscle structure, you'd just be a bag of bones, right? So there's a real visual there. So Christ is the tendons that holds you together, right? So what does that mean? What does that look like in our lives, in our body, in, in the church, right? Um, what does the fruit of growth in Christ and held together by Christ look like personally and corporately? So what does this look like in your life? And then what does that look like as us, the church here? How does this work with us in there? Two, how is holiness related to spiritual growth? I want to talk about holiness for a minute in here. As we look through this, is holiness important to God? But follow the next one. Be careful because we can become holy and cause problems in our life. Verse 3, what reveals the difference between holiness and self-righteousness? Ooh, wait a minute. We could say, oh, I'm holier than thou. And that could not be produced from the Spirit. That could be produced from ourselves. So how, where in this passage can you show how that doesn't take place where I don't become self-righteous? Four, how does my personal pursuit of holiness affect the body of life, uh, the, 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 the body life of Christ's church? So if I am pursuing Christ and Christ is making me more holy in him, how does that affect the church? So I want you to chat about that, write down something there. And then lastly, since unity is a strong theme in Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, list as many points from the text as you can about unity. Just keep writing them down. We want to know, because God says he hates disunity. And he loves, by this text, he loves unity. So let's write down as many as we can and figure that out. All right, table leaders, take them away. Don't get hung up on one question too long. Keep moving through it, okay? Okay, let's... uh, Let's... Turn and, and uh, we'll try it. I know you're still maybe thinking and talking, but uh, just for the sake of time and 
kids down at TAG, we want to get done at a decent time. But let's talk, let's just, let's just shout out some answers here on the very first one in the context of the passage. What are areas we are to be growing together in Christ? Hopefully you just wrote down some short answers there. What are some areas we should be as a church growing together in Christ? What'd you write down? Humility. Humility. Gentleness, thank you. Humble, thank you. I heard that. What was yours? Patience. Thank you. Yes, very good. Patiently was waiting for you to say that. <laughs> Forgiving. Yes, excellent. Yeah, very much in the context there. All right. So there's some great terms there that we should be, should be obvious in us. The, those things, if we're growing together in Christ, we should be this forgiving, patient, loving one another's type of group. That's what God should be creating within us. It's a good check. Is that, is that in my own life? Is that in our church life? Is that in my home life? Am I creating that? Dads, leaders of the homes, are we creating that, always pointing people to Christ in our home? Second one under number one is what does it mean to be held together by Christ? Let's, what'd you come up with that one? What does it mean to be held together by Christ? Trevor. So we, it may, means to maintain the unity of the Spirit. So Christ holds us together. It maintains us together. I like that. It's right out of the text. Excellent work there. Table number three. Anybody else? Another thought on that. Yes, Brian. He gave, Jesus gave us all individual gifts that are supposed to work together. Okay. So held together by the gifts, this one who has ascended on high, who this great Father in heaven, yet has given us gifts, and it holds us together. You can even see that in operation today. Leaders at your table, people putting in great worship, people cooking, cleaning. God's put all these together to, to hold us together, all related to the gospel. Anybody else? Another thought on that one? Mike, yeah, lots of hands going up here. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, churches quit. Churches fall apart all the time because Christ isn't what? Holding them together. They've made some other. Something else is holding them together. And that exhaust. Coming over there, Hayward. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Bill. Right, so we'll see that in the next question. Excellent. Mike. Yeah. Blessed be the tie that binds. That old hymn, remember that? Some of us that remember seeing that? That's blessed be the tie that binds. It holds us together. Yes, Tom. Right, so the bond of peace. Those who are no longer at war with God are held together by the peace that we have in Christ. We're not at war with God anymore if you're a saved person. So that bond of peace holds us together. We're, we're no longer fighting him anymore. <laughs> we're working with him. It's great to think about that thought, what holds us together. We can go on and on about that. How about the next one? Um, what does the fruit of growth in Christ and held together by Christ look like personally and corporately? Grow, grow, grow in the church. Thank you, Joni. Yes, Carol.
I think I heard that. I think what she's saying is she was growing in Christ. You now pass that on, what God is doing in your life. You share that and live that in front of others so that becomes affectious and begins to create unity with one another as you grow. What else? Yes. So he said we grow vertically to love God more, we grow horizontally to love each other more. Is that right? Is that what you said? So I, I just wrote down, well, one, it creates worship. Right? So, and I think you're saying that in so many different ways. What does the fruit of the growth in Christ and held together by Christ look like personally and corporately? It creates worship. And, let me, and I wrote this in my notes. Um, do a question to myself. Do you worship when you're alone? Do you have personal worship? And if we all are personally worshiping, when we are with our Bible, sitting there with Christ, um, whether that's in your pickup at lunch or at the office or early in the morning or late at night, whenever you have time just to get things out and settle down, if you personally worship, imagine what that does when we all come together. So, this whole text is designed for unity, but unity starts between me and Christ, my personal worship, right? So I think it's such an important part. And when we think of the structure that he's giving here, and you, and you think about what, what growth happens here, it must create worship. It also causes like-mindedness, right? So if this group of people is growing in Christ, and this group of people is growing in Christ, and we come together on Sundays, there's a like-mindedness to us. Yeah, do you ever be on vacation or somewhere and you go visit a church somewhere and you go, wow, I like I stepped into our own church. Because what would you do? You stepped into God-fearing, Christ-exalting, spirit-equipped people who love the word of God and love Christ and you go, wow, like-minded brothers and sisters. I travel halfway around the world and find them out in the jungle and go, wow, why? Because they're serving the same Lord, Right? And so, boy, what is heaven, isn't heaven going to be beautiful? Two, how is holiness related to spiritual growth? Attitude changing, yes. Andrew. Good, good, Andrew. So... Growing the church more. Uh, so there's a continual growth. So let's, 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 let me just talk about what Andrew said because it's real important. There is a, what we would call initial holiness that God gives us at salvation, right? We are declared righteous. We are holy in God's eyes. Why? Because his son forgave us of all of our sins. All of them. Ones you haven't even committed yet. And that's why if you die right now, you'll be with the Lord because his righteousness was so great, he, he made you holy at the instance of salvation. So that's what we talk about, initial sanctification, initial holiness. But what Andrew's talking about is progressing in that holiness, growing where God's chiseling away on us on those rough edges. And he's conforming us more to the image of who? Christ, who is the What? Most holy person, most holy deity ever, right? So, so it, it, it's bringing us along in this area. So it's very much related to our spiritual growth because spiritual growth cannot be merely knowledge. 
Because knowledgeable people walk away from Christ all the time. So it must be something internal. And so holiness is much part of our spiritual life because now it's that surrendering, as Andrew says, this gradual, progressive growing, dying to self. Lord, I I don't like those things about me. I confess that is sin. This is what caused you to die for this. You are on the cross for that sin. Do you confess that way? And, And that's creating, oh Lord, I want to be like you. Man, that's spiritual growth. Because now you begin to deal with sin in a different way, right? Let's keep moving. Three, what reveals the difference between holiness and self-righteousness? Self-righteousness. Yes, way back there, Jeremy. Say that one more time louder, Jeremy. Yes, very easy. That's excellent. Good job. What table number is that? Give you guys a little star on your thing there. Um, It is so easy to compare yourself to someone else. And God's not looking for that. And so uh, when we begin to say, God, what do you want me to be like? And you study the word of God, because that's the manual, right? It isn't just, well, you know, hit me, I'll just wait. No, he's given us this, right? He's given all these verses, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Well, what was your calling about? He was calling you out of darkness. Into light, thank you. Star for her too. Um, uh, Into light, I mean, that's just this beautiful teaching that we hear, Brian. Absolutely, and you see that emphasis within this text here. Um, One other thing you would add, just think about this. When you get to holiness and self-righteousness, ask the question, who gets the glory? Mm. See, self-righteousness is trying to say, you know, wow, Scott, someone said you had a good sermon. Boy, you really knocked it out of that park. Break my arm here, right? Oh, Lord, I can't do this without you. This is overwhelming to open your word and tell your children what it means. Yeah, giving God the glory, there's a big difference, and they nailed it to that table back there. But just asking that question, Lord, who got the glory for that? Did I take it? Well, that's self-righteousness. If you got it, that's holiness. So good, good answers there. Um, four, how does my personal pursuit of holiness affect the body, of li- body, the body life of Christ's church? So when I mean body life is how we function, right? Who we are, how we inter- interact with one another and all of that. So what did you put down for four? Did you get the four? Yes, Robbie. So, Robbie's saying that all the spiritual gifts start to combine together and they start to affect one another. And here, as well as in 1 Corinthians 12, is this functioning body of Christ that's knitted together, held together. The sinew, the, the tendons are held by Christ. He's the head. All of that working together, arms and legs swinging, the body of Christ, feet and toes and noses and ears, all senses going, 
right? That's all the gifts. And, and what I love about that little difficult passage in there that is you know, ascending and descending and all that stuff, but what it's telling us is this great God, this great God who has all things in control, has gifted us to be one, to walk together here. Do, do you see why he hates disunity? When churches fight and separate and split and go through that, that's a total rejection of his gospel when that happens. Yes, it's like sin. It is sin. Any, any other thoughts on, on four there? Because that's this is a very important question. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So he says, he said, activity creates growth, inactivity, things die, right? Uh, so when only, a, you know, 10% are doing all the work of the church, or any organization for that fact, right? But particularly in the church in this context, things start to die. And, and here we are, this great God who has gifted all of us. In some gift, the Spirit of God gifted you with gifts to serve and to work together if we refuse to do that, whether that's holding a baby, preaching, singing, uh, calling on someone, walking across an aisle and shaking a new person's hand at this church, whatever that may be, what God has called you to do, that's what the activity that Brad's talking about is causes growth within us. That's, it's good stuff. This is, this is where we, we have to uh, learn because it's easy to go, wow, you know, good sermon. Let's just hear sermons. Let's hear good preaching. Let's, let's just sit back and take all of that. And yet, that's not the goal of a church. It is a very active, very fit body, right? Think of the body you want to have, <laughs> right? And, and sometimes, sometimes we maybe look like our physical body as a church, <laughs> We're a little portly. <laughs> we, need to, we need to stop feeding ourselves and feed one another. All right, five. Here's just some, some list of here. Since unity is a strong theme in Ephesians 4 through uh, 1 through 16, list many points from your text as you, as you can. What, what, where's unity in this text? It's all through it, isn't it? I mean, it's just all through it. And it's this, and this this functioning body of Christ, Christ the head at the helm of everything. Uh, you've heard me from the day I put my boots on the ground here, I have talked about Christ-centeredness. You hear me beat that drum because there's always man-centered trying to take it. We always have needs and struggles, and that, that's true of us, and God knows that. But the greatest answer is keeping Christ as the head. It's the greatest answer for depression. It's the greatest answer for our marriages. It's the greatest answer for all of those things of keeping him at the head. And that's a battle. It was a battle in the first century, and it's a battle now. And so we fight for that. So personal worship, personal life creates a great body life here. Right? You can't create that on Sunday morning. You can't. You can have the best singing, the best preaching, but you can't create true worship if it isn't happening personally within the body of Christ. But when we all deny self and say, Lord, I want to put you first in my life, and we continue to do that and grow at that 
as Andrew said, it's a progression in our holiness. That happens. Oh, body life takes off. And we start to see needs we never saw before. And we start to step out of ourselves. And God begins to work. This is a great text, isn't it? You could, we could chew on this all night, couldn't we? All right, well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed it. This is fun to do. It's fun to hear it from you guys. I, I, that's really feeds your pastors when we hear you guys talking and discussing these things. So let's pray and then we'll be dismissed. Father in heaven, we thank you for a chance to discuss your word. We are still a very free country, Lord, and we can do this right now. And, and what a blessing to just sit here and listen to these brothers and sisters teach, share what they've learned, grasp deep truths and be, be able to uh, tell them back to one another, Lord. Oh, Father, this must please you when your children behave this way. And so we pray that our, our desire for holiness would be for your glory, not for what people think about us, but, but that you're worshipped and you're proclaimed. And give us deep, profound love for one another. Cause us to be gentle and patient. All the things we looked at, all those one another's, Lord, that creates this bond of unity. And this wonderful Lord Jesus Christ that binds us together, Lord. May he always have central place in our church, our homes, and our personal lives. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for taking us and making us your captives, taking us away from, from Satan's realm and making us your children. We wait your return. We long for you to come. But till you return, may, we, may you find us walking in a manner worthy of our calling. Bless that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed. Have a great evening.